if that's your prayer, to just put your hands up right now. Because, Father, more than anything, more than our agenda, and more than our needs, and more than what we see, and more than what we want, and more than what we think we want, what we really need is you. Because in you is life, and in you is joy. And in you is fulfillment. In you is mercy. And in you is grace. And in you, Father, is everything that we really need. And if we could only just have our eyes open for just a moment, God, it would change how we pray. And it would change how we live and how we see. God, pour out mercy this morning. God, pour it out on this people. Because more than anything else, we just want you, God. We just want you. God, thank you that you just want us. No, no. Thank you that you just want us. God, we bless you. And thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Oh. Wow. You know, it's... Um, I mean this in the kindest of terms, honestly. It's a pastor talking. It's not an evangelist or some visiting speaker. I, I've been here since the thing started. I can just say this to you. Bottom line is, man, it, it's, it's possible to have two experiences at the same time in the same room and that people who hear and see and experience are like, oh, the presence of God is here. And then others are like, I don't sense anything. And so I'm standing over here. And I'm, and I'm wiping away tears. And at first, I'm just enjoying it, going, God, that's my prayer. I don't want anything else but you. You don't owe me anything. You've given me so much already. And then I look, and I'm like, God, make that all of our prayer this morning. My pastor's heart to you is that all of you at one time would know God's love and his presence and his outpouring in our life. And as it grows and as it just gets thicker, Man, I'm praying that when you walk away, anybody that asks you about our church, I pray you will not say there's a good message there or there's a good foundation there. Here's what I want you to say. I want you to say Jesus is in that place right there, man. That's what I want you to say. Jesus is there. When you came in this morning, you were handed notes. And if you go ahead and get those out, you'll need a pen or a pencil. There's some fill in the blanks. While you do that, I've got two uh, quick announcements that I want to make. The first one is a pleasure to announce uh, for a friend, uh, my buddy and pastor of Shine Church, Dan DeMay, believe it or not, is celebrating their one-year anniversary down at Shine. Yeah. And if you were like, who is that? Then you have joined us within the last year. Dan was my right-hand man almost from the very beginning for 20, 20 years and stood next to me and helped me one of the pastors to build this church, and about a year ago, a year ago, he had an opportunity to, uh, to take our Castle Rock campus and turn it into his own church, and Pastor DJ and Cam and Robin, and Amy and Darren and Janet, several key people went with Dan to help establish that church, and it has turned into, it's a really, really great church down there. Dan has honored me. He called me up and he said, I can't think of anybody better to speak at our one-year anniversary than my pastor. So would you come and would you speak? And I 
Um, what an honor for me. So Friday, here's how they're going to do it. This Friday, 6 o'clock at Philip S. Miller uh, Park. They call it the MAC down there, uh, for those who might be, be familiar with it. Um, they're going to do their one-year celebration. It's outside. They have a concert. Uh, Thomas Ewing is coming to do the concert, um, and that's really probably the main focus. My part is really I'm, I'm going to spend about a half hour just kind of uh, talking about, I'm going to talk to them about what now, yeah. right? Okay, so you made it a year, but what now? And I feel like God gave me something really good. But here's what Dan said. He said, would you invite Jubilee to join us? So I'm actually advertising for another church right now. Uh, I know, we do weird things like that here. And I just want to invite you, if you'd like to join us next Friday, 6 o'clock, outdoors. The weather's supposed to be fantastic. And I'd just like to encourage you, if you want to come down and support me or support them, uh, be part of it. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's shine.co. So it's not .org or .com. Shine.co is uh, Dan's um, website. So if you need more information, check that out right there. You could also call their church. But if you'd like to join us, it's next Friday at 6 o'clock right there. And then the other one just simply is this, on August 25th. I've got a speaker for our, uh, it's kind of the kickoff for the fall um, men's ministry coming into our men's retreat that's going to happen in October, and we'll start announcing more and more about that. Um, Steve Anderson, I was on staff uh, pastorally with Steve in northern Colorado at Resurrection Fellowship years ago. Steve did men's ministry up there and a couple of other things, but they had a true revival. I've never really experienced one that swept a nation, swept a town, but I have seen one uh, sweep a group of men. And Steve was leading that group of men, and here's what happened, man. God just started moving in this group of guys. And every Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, almost 700 men would show up just to pray. And it just started growing and growing. And when we would do men's advances, men's retreats, we called them advance because we don't retreat. Listen, there'd be 14 and 1,500 men that would come from a five- and six-state region to join us up in Estes Park. And so he's coming to speak on the 25th. And so, men, I just want to invite you real quick. One of the best speakers I've ever heard. Um, and I think he really has a, a message that God's given him for our men. And I think it's sort of the prelude coming into our advance in October. So I just want to invite you to that market. I'll talk more about it again next week. But um, I just, just want to give you advanced warning and notice. And I, I'd love for you to be there, men. So you might want to mark that down and, uh, and be there. Okay. Here's what we're doing. Um, it, it's a new series, and yet it's not a new series because I jumped the gun two weeks ago and, um, and actually preached the first message of the new series because I was so excited. So Pastor Terry announced um, that, that it's a new series, and um, so in a way it's a new series. I'm going to call it a new series, but it's a new series point two zero. How about that right there? So I started it. This is kind of a second half of it. Um, and it's a new series. We're going to use Ephesians 3.20, which is one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. Um, I, I, next week, I'm going to ask you, maybe be thinking about this over the week, do you have any life verses that you go by? Are there one or two that when, when you just think about things that God's promised you or done for you or things that you've read in the Bible that have meant something really great to you? Do you have, Lisa, do you have one or two verses that you really, you, they're your go-to? If I, if I put you on the spot and said, tell me what they are, I'm not going to. But could you? Because yeah, sometimes when people do that to me, my mind goes blank. Uh, Bible, what's that? So, uh, uh, you know, but do you have those one or two, three verses that are like your life verses? Ephesians 3.20 is one of my life verses. So I love teaching from this. Our series is called Above Average. 
And here's why we titled it that. We believe that what God says in this verse is above average in the way that we normally think. And especially in the way that we normally pray. So I'm going to talk a little bit on the dichotomy uh, about the fact that God sees and wants us to pray above average. But so many times we, play, we pray below average. Does that make sense? And I think I can show you this. And I hope that when it's all said and done that I challenge you and I encourage you and I draw you into the place of being able to, um, to pray above average prayers. By the way, last night when I was preaching, man, I felt like I was 35 years old last night. Which I know, like, if you're 25, you're like, oh, you poor guy. But when you're 55, it was awesome, man. It was really awesome. I got bad news, though. I woke back up and felt 55 this morning when I, when I got up. So, but now that I'm standing up here, I'm starting to feel pretty good. So let's see what happens uh, in the situation right here. So Ephesians 3.20 reads this way. Uh, let me give you a little context. Paul is writing a letter to a church in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was a very large city, uh, a cosmopolitan city, metropolitan, uh, a very well-known city of its day. They had many different pluralistic religious beliefs, many different people living in that city. And then um, as Christianity begins to spread, Paul goes to this town. Uh, part of his missionary journey was to establish a church there. The church gets planted there. It begins to grow rapidly. And like anything that grows rapidly, but it brings in a, a dichotomy of people, they have a lot of different questions and a lot of different problems. And so Paul's trying to tell them, look, there's a lot going on, and I get it. I'm going to address those things. But here's the one thing that we have to agree on, that we're going to love Jesus and we're going to serve God. This is the most important thing. So look at me. I don't care what your background is, and I don't care where you came at this morning, and I don't care what you're going through, and I don't care. Even if you disagree with how I'm dressed this morning, and our liturgy, and, and, and cameras, and lights, and music, and I, you can argue about even the temperature it's okay to disagree with. I'll win, but it's okay to disagree with it, okay? But listen to me. The one thing that we have to agree that we're going to hold in common is that at Jubilee, we're going to love Jesus, man. That's our common denominator that unifies us. That's it right there. We're going to love Jesus. And so that's what Paul is saying to this group of people. And one of the questions they're asking him in a letter to him, and, and here's the problem. We don't have the letters that they wrote to him. We have the letters that he wrote to them. So what we do then is we read his letters, and guessing at his answers, we extrapolate what questions they were asking. Does that make sense? Yeah. So by this, this answer, one of the questions that they were asking is, is it okay to pray big prayers? Does God care about the big things in our life? Uh, excuse me, the little things in our life are only the big things in our life. Well, let me ask you this. What in your life is not little to God? Wow, let me come over here. Okay. Look, 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 look. Even the big things to you, do you really think it's that big to God? Now, that doesn't mean that God's minimizing it, but our God, he's the one who, with his word, light happens. With his word, the universe is formed and put into place. Your problem, as big as it is to you, is not a problem to God. So sometimes when we're thinking, oh, I don't know if God has time for this. Trust me. The invitation is, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who are struggling, all of you who are tired, and let's have a burden exchange. I'll give you mine because you can handle it, and I'll take yours because I can handle it. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. What a change. Okay, 37 or 8 right now. I'm getting down there. <laughs> so Ephesians 3.20 is Paul's answer to a group of people asking, how should we think about God answering our prayers. How should we pray? Is it okay to pray? How, how does God see 
our lives when it comes to how we're to think about this world and each other and our prayer requests. And so look, look what Paul writes. Now to him, him is God. Now to God who is able to do immeasurably. Say that word with me. Immeasurably. Okay, look. When I measure things, right? If I say immeasurably, it's still based on something that has a beginning and an end because I don't have, I don't have something immeasurable. I, there's, I, 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 my life has a beginning. My life has an end. So maybe I could even measure it by 80 or 90 years. But I still, because I'm human and finite, when I say immeasurably, it still has a limit. But if God says immeasurably, who has no beginning or no end, how long is immeasurably? A long time. Forever. Forever. So here, Paul's answer. To God, who is able to do immeasurably, look at this, more than all we ask or what? According, here's the caveat, according to his power that is at work within us. Let me just say this real quickly. If I were to ask you to take 30 seconds or a minute and write down in a sentence or two your greatest imagination for your life, for your marriage, for your children, for your health, for your job or for your school year, for your relationship. If I were to ask you honestly, I want you, look, no limits. Uh, so many times before we begin writing, we already have preconceived limits in our, well, yes, pastor, I know it says immeasurably, but that doesn't really mean immeasurably. That means, you know, limited because you're a scholar. <laughs> immeasurably to God is, it, he means what he, so Jerry, if I were to say right now, for the next 10 years of your life, tell me the greatest thing that could happen to you. Could, do you have the imagination to write it down? Could you do it? You could try. Uh, Kathleen, if I said, tell me professionally, what's the greatest thing? I mean, now, no limits. No, no glass ceiling. No, no somebody over here controlling anything. If you could tell me the greatest thing that could happen, what, could your imagination conjure up something pretty good, do you think? Pretty good. Pretty good? Uh, Johnny boy, could you do it, man? If I said, tell me about your business and what you'd like to see happen in the next uh, six months, and just let your imagination go, no limits, no, no, nobody's above you, nobody's saying no to you, nobody's stopping you, could you write down something pretty good? Could you do it? Pro okay, yeah, you know, you know I'm going to pin you here, that's why you're saying that, yeah, okay, here's what I'm trying to say to you. The Bible says, let's read it again, go back to that for me real quick, Daniel, sorry about that. Back up real quick to that Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able to do immeasurably, read the words with me, immeasurably than all we ask or imagine. So look at this. If I could get you, which I'm, you, you think it's easy, go home today. Don't let anything be a problem. Your age, your education, your boss, your spouse, your kids, your income, your education. Don't let, don't let the world... 
Don't let anything stand in your way. Write down your greatest imagination and then read it against this. Here's what you need to do. Write it down and rip it up because according to the scripture, the best thing that you can write, God wants to do immeasurably more. Not just more, immeasurably more. Dude, what a promise. You know and the problem with that is? Our natural minds get in the way and we go, well, maybe for you. But it doesn't seem to ever happen for me. And that's below average thinking. And there is a caveat according to the power that works in us. So I got something at the end to help you with this right here. But our series is called Above Average based on this idea that God wants to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine according to his power that works in you. So I want to talk about above average prayer. Two weeks ago when I started this, I jump-started it, I used Psalms 91. It's one of my favorite psalms. I got halfway through it. I want to use the last three verses today to teach you to pray above average prayers. Now, I'm just going to say something to you right now. Many of you are going to go, Pastor, God, that sounds so good. And you're a pastor. Of course you're going to say those things. Dude, you think below average if you say that. And my job today is to challenge you and to not allow you to leave this place at least being okay praying below average prayers. You can still do it, but I hope that you hear my voice bothering you all week long. <laughs> so Psalms 91, 14 through 16. And by the way, if you don't have a quiet time in the morning, um, maybe this is a great place to start. Uh, maybe if you're just like, I just never seem to have the discipline to do it. I just know, I don't know how to do it. I, I, I just don't know. How about this? Five minutes every morning praying these three verses over you, the ones that you love, and your future. How about that? Five minutes. Five minutes. Five minutes. Okay, this is what it says. The Lord says, not John, not Paul, not Billy Graham, not some smart guy, but the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. What a great prayer. So let me, how many of you love Jesus? Oh, that was weak. So, well, you know, I'm fond of him anyway. How many of you love Jesus, man? Look, yeah, come on. Give me lovers of Jesus in this room. I will rescue those who love me. Look at this. I will protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, I will I will be with them in, I will rescue and honor them. And then look at this part right here. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Get up five minutes every day and pray those three verses. Just pray them over your life. And if you're like, well, okay, uh, okay, okay, it's in the Bible, I get it, but my circumstances don't quite line up with it. It's time to quit lowering the scripture to match your life. It's time to raise your life to match the scripture. God responds to faith, not to circumstance. So instead of justifying your circumstance as being the, the guiding light to how you live your life, begin by faith to call those things that aren't as though they were. You do rescue me. You do hear me when I call, and you do have good things for me. Would you remind my boss of that, please? Okay. I think that's an above-average prayer. So I want to give you three things. Got your pen, your pencil. You can use the online U version of the notes. Or if you learn best by listening, that's great too. Three above-average prayers that you should be praying. Here's the first one. Pray prayers of rescue. Prayers of rescue. 
It doesn't qualify or quantify what it means to be rescued. Here's what we think. We, we have this overdeveloped sense of right and wrong, and so we tend to think, well, okay, God is fair, and by the way, it doesn't say that. In fact, God might be the most unfair, uh, I, I was going to say creature, but that's not the right word. <laughs> God is the most unfair, only God, because if you got what you deserved and he acted in fairness. Yep. In fact, how about this? Let's be glad we didn't get what we deserved. Every morning you should be thankful. God, thank you that you didn't give me what I really deserved. And if you're like, well, pastor, I, I wish God would give me what I deserved. You, then you don't understand what I'm saying right now. And be thankful God is merciful to your stupidity. All right, so. <laughs> sorry, that was. That was 18. That wasn't 35, that was 18. So let's, sorry. I back up from that. I apologize. Sorry, okay? Forgive, forgive me. <clears throat> Prayers of rescue are not qualified on somebody else did something to you. It's just qualified on this. According to Psalms 91, you will hear me and you will rescue me. So that means even if you cause the trouble, God promises to rescue you. And so much of what happens in our life is really not someone else's fault like we'd like to think. A lot of times it's our own fault. Yep. We move forward doing our own thing, thinking, ah, I think I can, and it doesn't work out, and we need to be rescued. Nine, 91, verse 14. Let me read it to you again. The Lord says, I will rescue those who what? I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. He doesn't quantify or qualify what it is that you need to be rescued from. It can be something that someone else has done to you. It can be something that this world has caused to have an economy, uh, a, a bad decision that a spouse made, uh, a buddy, a partner that you're in, 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 uh, in, in a relationship with does something behind your back that you didn't know about. Of course, those are things that God can rescue. But you know, bottom line is, many times, man, we do our own, we're our own worst enemy. And when it happens to us, then, then, then we pray below average prayers. Let me give you three below average prayers really quickly that I hear all the time. God, I did it again. You ever said that one? Do you know someone who said that one? Do you believe someone might have said that at some time? Hey, come on. You're the early morning Sunday people. You're supposed to be the holy ones. Now get with me on this thing. It's a below average prayer to pray out to God, oh God, I did it again. Here's the second below average prayer that I hear all the time. God, I deserve this. God, I get it. I did it. I, I, it's me. It's me. I get it. Let me learn my lesson. I, maybe it's going to take 70 years, but, you know, heaven's coming. I mean, come on. Here's the worst one that's so below average. This prayer, oh, quit saying this. God, next time I'll do better. You're not your own righteousness. You're not your soul. Here's what the Bible does not say. God will do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine according to your power that works in you. Why don't you quit trying to be your own righteous, your own salvation, your own strong arm? Why don't you just admit that, God, without you, I'm lost, I'm going to blow it. God, in this life, I struggle. You know, it is possible to be two people, one who has a relationship with God and one who, in the middle of the night, stubs their toe and a curse word comes out. 
I got it. I knew you weren't going to. I knew. And you know why you can't say yeah? Because churchy people are looking at you right now, and you're afraid to agree with me. And you know where I don't want to go to church? With a bunch of people who can't be real. This dude gets under the anointing up here and preaches with fire, but then I get in my car and idiots cut me off. And I forget I'm a preacher. And in one moment, man, whoo, I love the Lord and he's alive and he rescues me. And in the next moment, I'm like that. And then I'm so glad nobody in my church until one day it was somebody in my church I was yelling at. You think I'm kidding? I got into a beef out here and the guy's in front. He took off, cut me off to get around me because I said something to him that wasn't very kind. Cut me off. Then he turned on the street right here. I knew. I know where he's going. I know where he's going. Pulls in the parking lot. So I drove by. Waited for him to park. Turned around, came back. And where do you think he parks? Right next to me. Hey, bro. How you doing, man? The guy was so kind because he was at fault too. Probably more than me, to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to show you something here in just a minute to talk about this. Prayers of rescue. The implication, listen to this, listen to this, listen, listen. The implication of the fact that God has to rescue us means that we find ourselves in trouble in this life. Because there is no rescue without a pit. Peter, there is no rescue unless something went wrong. God does not have to rescue those who are not struggling. Yes or no? And so this is what we tend to think to ourselves. We, we, we imagine, well, God, see, God is fair. But God, no. God is merciful. And God is full of grace. And God remembers that this frame is, in this life, struggling and loves us anyway. And, of course, it doesn't justify not growing and maturing. That's not what I'm saying. But it's okay to pray prayers of rescue even if you did the slipping. The implication is that things do and can happen to believers. To believers. And that's why we pray prayers of rescue. There is no rescue without trouble. There is no rescue without a problem. There is no rescue without a pit. I taught this years and years ago, and this is not the nature of the message today, but I'll just remind you very quickly. You might want to write it in. There are three ways that people fall into pits. The first way is to, be, uh, to slip into a pit. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Has that ever happened to you? I'm going to take off these rings, and I'm going to really start preaching now. Okay. Now look at me. Have you ever been at the wrong place at the wrong time and found yourself in a situation you did not wake up that morning to do something wrong, but you ended up at the wrong place at the wrong time and you went with someone you shouldn't have gone with? You woke up with someone you shouldn't have woke up with? Oh, I... Oh. Put them back on because you don't want to hear this. <laughs> you slipped up. You messed up. But nonetheless, you found yourself in a pit, yes or no? Okay, there's another way into a pit. You got pushed into a pit. 
you were doing everything right. You were avoiding those things that cause you to slip up. You had gone a different path. You had walked a different way. And in fact, you were praying about everything that was going on, but somehow, some way, you get next to somebody who thinks it's funny to push you into a pit. And they mess you up. Maybe it was a partner who said, I mean it forever, and they didn't. Maybe it was a businessman who you trusted who for years had a successful track record, but when it came down to it, he put himself above you. Maybe it was a church you went to. And you thought everything was just on the up and up and above board. And by the way, just so you know, don't ever, ever, ever forget that I'm a human. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's never put me in a place. (laughs) I need Jesus as much as you need Jesus every day, man. Never forget that about pastors. Yes, trust pastors. Yes, believe in pastors. Yes, one thing that you can measure is that someone that's there a long time, there must be something that's okay. But that never puts me above, ever. I'm a sinner saved by grace every day just like you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Never forget that about a pastor. But you trust someone, you elevate them to a place in your life where you think to yourself, they're above that And then they do something, and it's almost like they just shoved you down into a pit, and you can't get out of it. So we can slip into a pit. We can be pushed into a pit. Maybe the one that we have trouble praying prayers of rescue about are the ones where we look at the pit and go, hey, this is going to be fun. (laughs) And we jump. And this is what we think to ourselves. I can overcome this. I deserve this. I've lived the other way for a long time, and I need to have a break. This is going to be okay. You ever jump into a pit? You ever know somebody that jumped into a pit? Do you believe that there are people who have jumped into pits? I'm going to get you to agree with me one way or the other, okay? When I'm down here, nobody can see me on the camera, and we live stream this. It looks completely dark to people, right? Like, who's talking? It's the Lord. Um... So we can slip, push, or jump into a pit. But let me tell you what David said about a pit. And I just read to you what Psalms 91 says about a pit. That we can pray prayers of rescue. But look at what David says in Psalms 40. I waited patiently. By the way, where is he waiting patiently at? Where? You're right. Keep saying. Where did he wait patiently at? It's really hard to be patient when you're in a pit. But sometimes a pit is so deep and the walls are so steep that the more you climb, the deeper you go. I'm talking to somebody right now. I don't know who you are. You're scratching and you're trying. Pits are expensive. When you come to the end of yourself in a pit, the worst thing you can do is to navel gaze. Oh, jeez. Because when you're down below the surface... Looking down doesn't help. Begin to look up. Because I'm going to give you the only secret out of a pit. But look at what David said about a pit. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Let's read that together. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Not to judge me. 
not to kill me, not to leave me, not to forget about me, not to tell me, oh, you shouldn't have gone there. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. Look at this. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing. The only way you can sing a new song is if you've got something new to sing about. Uh Best song you'll ever sing is the one when you're out of a pit. (laughs) A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done. What did he do? He pulled you out of a pit. It brings glory to God to take you out of a pit. How does that work? How does that work, man? The kingdom of God is one of those paradoxical upside-down kingdoms. The first or last, the last or first. The greatest is the least. The least is the greatest. We would think that it brings glory to God in order to judge people who mess up. Oh, he really is God. Look how powerful he is. But for whatever reason, his love compels him that even when we mess up, to reach down into that and to pull us out, to set our feet on the path, to help us walk straightly, to sing a new song of praise, and he gets glory for how good he is in our lives. And if we ever realize that, then instead of living with condemnation as your best friend and the voice in your head, you begin to live with the one every day that says, I'm with you and I'm for you and I'm not against you because you can't overcome the stuff till you believe that God is working in you. It's according to his power at work in you, not your power to get out of a pit yourself. Oh man, I'm trying to preach it right now. By the way, there's only one way that I know to really get out of a pit, and that is God. Cry out to God. Sometimes, just real quickly, you don't have enough money to get out of a pit. And for those of you with a lot of money, money is a shield, and money is a protector, and money is a nice thing to have. But when you're in a deep enough pit, (laughs) ask Epstein if he had enough money to get out of his pit. If you're not up on current events, you just went right over your head. But do you know who I'm talking about? Ask the billionaire if he had enough money to get out of his pit. I took way too long on this first one. Uh, Here's the second one. Above average prayers, prayers of God's presence. Psalms 91, verse 15. We did 14, we'll do 15. Here's what 15 says. When they call on... Let's read it together. One, two, three. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. Okay, listen, real quick. Serving God is not some supernatural force field that keeps trouble at bay. Now, I've heard preachers preach, if you give enough money, that God will keep those things far from your life. And I just want you to know that Jesus himself said, in this world you will have, but fear not because I've overcome this world. 
There is no promise, there is no guarantee, and there, just hear it from me straight. And if this makes a difference to you, then you have to decide if you're going to go any farther with Jesus. But just because you serve Jesus does not mean in this world you will not experience trouble. And if you're like, well, that's the get-off point, I'm sorry. I, I cannot soften it, I cannot change it, and I'm not going to lie to you. Going, giving, praying, singing, dancing, going all in is not some force field that the enemy cannot find ways to at times shoot arrows at you. But arrows can be extinguished. And Jesus' promises, in the world you'll have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. Meaning, by implication, you're going to overcome too. You want the truth? I read the end of the book. I cheated. I peaked. We win. We win. We have trouble now, but we're going to a place where trouble does not exist. He will wipe every tear. He will remove every. <laughs> he'll wipe every tear. And he'll remove every pain. And he'll restore to us all of the things that he originally intended in creation to us. Heaven's not a place where we sit on a cloud and, oh, where's my harp? Heaven, <laughs> heaven is that place that deep inside of you, you long for, and some of you don't even know it. Yeah. Want me to keep going? Yes. Ooh, I like that. I'm, baby, come on. Prayers of presence. They will... Call on me, and I will be with them in trouble, is what he just said. I will be with them in trouble. So let me give you a few examples of how God does that. Uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, uh, Babylon was the power on the earth that was the power at that time. And Babylon had a problem with, um, with the Jews because the Jews worshiped God, and they would not submit to any other god. And Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon served every sort of evil god you could imagine. They were very strong. They came against Jerusalem. They besieged Jerusalem. Uh, they ransacked Jerusalem. They took the treasuries out of the temple. And then uh, they didn't kill everybody. In order to extend their kingdom, it's called assimilation, they would bring the best, the smartest, the wisest, the, the best looking. They would take them captive bring them into their place, and then teach them the ways, the literature, the language, the customs of the Chaldeans so that they would... It, it's assimilation of a kingdom is what it is. And so the Bible points out these four heroes, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and a young prophet named Daniel. And the story about these three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was this, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was this very powerful king who had an ego problem, and he was a narcissist. And he built a hundred-foot gold statue of himself. Can you imagine? <laughs> and every day at noon, he had a band. The, 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 the royal symphony would begin to play. And when the people heard the music, wherever they were, they were supposed to bow down and worship the gold statue. And anybody who wouldn't bow, by order of the king, was put to death. And there's a couple of messages there. One is... All music calls us to worship something. That's why God designed it. Music, that's why the devil loves to pervert it. But God designed music to call us to worship, didn't he? Think about it. Music's a portal. 
when you were a kid, can you hear a song today that when you were 15 you heard and it brings you right back to that place? Yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just got that power to it. Music does the same thing with worship. When you find those songs that just like, ha oh, ha, it calls you to worship. Well, Neb wanted everybody to worship him. So we had the Royal Philharmonic play the music. And the one thing that these people who were taken into captivity could not do, even if it cost them their life, they could not worship another god. And so these three young men just told Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we'll learn your language, we'll eat your food, we'll go to your schools, we'll serve you even, but we cannot worship you. It's the one thing that we cannot do. And the king didn't like that, and he thought he could make them do it. He thought he could make them bow to his will. And so he decided to threaten them, and what he did is he had this furnace built that he could burn people alive in. I mean, that's a persuader. Don't you agree? That's a persuader. And he, he makes it seven times hotter than it's ever. It was so hot that the soldiers who are trying to put the coal and the wood into the fire, it's so hot that they're burned up as they try to get close to throw the material into it. Now, you, that, that's a deterrent. That is a deterrent. And then these three guys make this statement. King, our God is able to save us from you. Listen to this. But even if he does not, we will not bow the knee. Oh, it just infuriates him. So the king grabs these three guys, and the soldiers who are about to throw them in are going to die, and they know it. And they toss these three boys into this fire. And so you would just think, wow, what did that prove? <laughs> then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and he spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, it's true. But look, I see four men loose. How many did they throw in? I see four men loose, not bound, not laying on the ground, not being affected by this. I see four men having a party, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form is like the Son of God. And it goes back to, it's all through the Bible. God never promises that you won't go through fire. He never promises that the devil's not going to turn up the heat when you go to serve God. If you're going to go all in, if you're going to hear this message and go all in today, don't think for a minute the devil's going to go, oh, I need to leave him alone. Dude, he's waiting for you when you get home. He's going to turn the fire up tomorrow. He's going to test you and whether or not you really believe it. He's going to make you try to bow your knee. What will you do? God's promise is not that the fire will not come near you. Here's his promise. I will be with them in trouble when they call on my name. How do you make it through trouble? Have Jesus hold your hand when you're going through the fire. I just said something really good to you right there. If you were black, you'd have been yelling and yelling and yelling. Man. <laughs> Paul and Silas in Acts 16, they go into a city. It's okay if I say the word black. Relax. It's okay. There's no disparaging. I'm not borrowing anybody's culture. I'm just telling you. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas go into a town. By the way, they end up going into a town that they didn't want to go to. 
They're praying about going someplace else. They're asking God to let them go over here. And then they have a vision in the middle of the night of a man who says, come to Macedonia because the people need God. So the Bible says, well, we determined that that's where we're supposed to go. So these two men take off knowing that the people there are not going to be happy about them being there. They go to Macedonia. They begin to preach the gospel. And a woman who was a fortune teller, who was a slave, her owners made a lot of money over the ability that she had through the demonic to, to, to tell the future. But the woman around Paul and Silas, she acted real weird. So the Bible says day and night she would follow them. For a day and a night she followed them screaming at the top of her lungs, These men are prophets of God! And they know exactly what they're talking about, and you need to listen to them. And then she'd take a breath. These men are prophets of God, and they know exactly what they're talking about, and you need to listen to them. All right, that's fine for once or twice. But for 36 hours? Would that aggravate you? And Paul, the Bible says, got aggravated at it. So he turned around, and he said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And she falls to the ground like she's dead. The demons come out, but when she gets up, she's delivered, and she can no longer forecast the future through the demonic and it costs her owners hundreds if not thousands of dollars so they stir up the crowds the Romans here's what they say these Jews are trying to make us Romans worship like them let's beat the fire out of them so they grab sticks and bars and they beat them then they throw them in stocks, bring them to the prison, and tell the jailer, if he gets out, we're going to do worse to you. So they put them in the middle of the prison. Now, you would think that Paul and Silas have a reason to say to God, I told you we didn't want to come here. <laughs> yes or no? What would you say? See, that's what I would say. God, I, I told you I didn't want to do this. Come on. I knew where I was supposed to go, and it was not here. And that might have been some kind of a, I, maybe that was hummus that I had last night that made me have that vision. I do not know. Not pizza hummus because it's the, okay. But this is what they do instead. The Bible says that about midnight, Paul and Silas begin to sing praises and worship God. What is it about us in a pit that when we worship gets God's attention? Why? Because it's the most impro... The devil must look at that and go, I can't beat them. I just cannot beat them. And God, for what? it's like a metal to magnet. The Bible says that the earth began to shake, the prison began to quake, the doors swing open, the chains fall off, and these two men are free through their praise and worship to God. Now, they paid a price, but they're free. What a story. I heard a black preacher one time say that the Psalms say that the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. And as they began to sing, God began to clap and tap his foot and the earth began to shake and the bars began to quake and pretty soon that prison sprung open and out these men come. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but my God can do anything. So they did not escape a hard time but they sure did have a story to tell after they were set free. Yeah. And what do you think it did to their faith? We're still talking about it 2,000 years later, my friend. Yeah. Yay or nay? Yeah. <laughs> Psalm 1611. This is one of my favorite verses. You will show me the path of life in your what? Let's say it together. In your? 
is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Bible teaches us to pray prayers of presence. In his presence is everything that you need. Every day, start your life by praying God to rescue you, praying God to keep you out of, praying God that if you fall into, you jump into, you slip into, someone pushes you, God, get me out of it quickly. Get my feet on the solid ground. God, let your presence be with me. Let me give you the last prayer to pray. Pray prayers of long life. Now, this is the one that's going to rub you in a funky way. Psalms 91, 16. Let me read it to you real quick. Last verse of Psalms 91. I will reward them with, say it with me, with a long life and give them my salvation. Now, here's the problem with this. Let's just be honest. I'm going to be honest with you too. Dude, I have pastored too long, and in my own personal life, I've lost too many people to think that long life means that someone's going to live 90 years. I have lost teenagers in this church. One of the hardest things I ever did as a human was to be with a family that was having a baby. And at the last minute, the doctors told them that something's genetically wrong with the baby. And when he's born, he will live for a little while, but he won't. He won't make it. And they offered to terminate the pregnancy, but the people said no. What can you do? So the only thing I knew to do, I just said, can I be with you? I don't know what to say. There was not one class I took in Bible college that ever prepared me for what to say in that situation. No platitude works. No, hey, be warm, well-fed, and God bless you. That's religion, and it doesn't help anybody. So the baby's born, and we go back to the hospital, uh, the room, and in the room, they held that little baby, and that little baby lived an hour and 10 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that. That baby died. And as a pastor, there's just no words. It's just no, how do I reach into a mom's heart and remove that? Those are hard days. For those of you who have lost a child, a miscarriage, a stillborn, a disease, an accident. Hey, look at me real quick. Don't think for a moment that Jesus wasn't right there with you. The devil's such an effective liar that he'll tell you, God left you. Don't empower the liar. God never left you. He never forsook you. Even if it's caused you to have something in your heart towards him, here's what the Bible says. When we're unfaithful to him, he remains faithful to us because he will not deny himself. You're a part of him. And I cannot explain away other than to say we live in a fallen world. And just because you love Jesus doesn't mean stuff happens. But we have verses like this, and so what we do is we will read them but ignore them because they don't make sense in our experiences, do they? 
I'm going to take a crack at this. Even if you disagree me, can you at least love me for not being afraid to hide the scripture? This is what I think it means. I ask the Lord, please help me to try to explain this. Prayers of long life. Many of us do live long, full lives. 80 years, 90 years, 70, whatever. I think the word long life might be translated or better translated fullness of days. Fullness of days. Let me try to explain what that means. Whether you die young or whether you die old, God promises to satisfy us with a life. Our favorite, ah, wait a minute, let me rephrase. Chris's favorite holiday, do you know what her favorite holiday is? Christmas. It's amazing how many people know that. <laughs> the people that can recite that are people that love us and have been with us for a long time. Do you know what my favorite holiday is? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Dude, I love to eat, man. I love to eat. I was born to eat. The 13th spiritual gift is eating. <laughs> Some of you wonder what your spiritual gift is. Did I just find it? Did I help you? Part of it's genetic. Part of it's my Cajun background. Dude, my people learn to cook and eat everything so we can always be eating stuff. <laughs> Thanksgiving, I just love it. And whenever Thanksgiving gets done, man, I enjoy myself at Thanksgiving. But I hit this point of saturation where I get up from the table and Chris will always say, don't you want one more piece of pie? And I'm like, listen, sweetheart, I literally will die. If I have any more, I cannot have any more. I am, I am full. Here's what we do. We assume from our point of view that because a person didn't live long enough, they didn't have fullness. But you don't know what God can do. And you don't know what God has planned. And you don't know what God is doing for that person right now. You don't know what their reward is. You don't know how they're rejoicing. You, you have no idea. And we're so quick to judge God based on our human, finite, limited understanding. And we give no credit to the infinite ability of our God. When I was 11 years old, I lost my dad in a car crash, which sucked. Because my biological father abandoned me when I was three. My mom met a man named John Leach who loved me so much that he gave me his name. I got a name. And at 11 years old, a woman ran a stop sign and smashed him, broadsided, and killed him. Two losses at one of the most formative times in my life. And I wonder, God, why? Anybody ever said why? By the way, God's big enough to handle your why. He's big enough, kid, to handle your why. Let me tell you the answer God gave me one time. <laughs> Psalms 39.4, David wrote this. Look at this. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be, even though he also wrote that God will give me a long life. But look at the dichotomy. Remind me how brief my time on earth will be, and remind me that my days are what? 
and how fleeting my life is. Real quickly, look at me, look at me. I'm going to just say something really serious, deadly serious to you. Everyone in this room has only been given so many days on this life that you're going to live. Your days are numbered. God has a book, and there's an end in that book of your life. This is life, and the only way out is death. Remember I said that. Some of us have pages that have 90 plus years, and some have 70 plus years, and some have 25 days. But God's promise is, right, fullness, and we equate it, it has to be 90. It does not. It has to be full, and you don't know what fullness is to God. So that when I get to heaven, I do not think my dad will stand at the gates of heaven and go, oh, man, I cannot believe that in 1975, I left the earth, and I've been sitting here waiting. I bet my dad has been having one wonderful party with Jesus. And that when I get there, he's not going to go, oh, son, I'm so sorry. I think my dad's going to go, son, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) And son, I'm going to show you something that you're not going to believe. I'm going to show you heaven. And I think maybe when we're all done, he says, I want to show you the throne and I want to show you the king. And I'm not going to sit there and go, how could 1975 have happened? I'm going to sit there and go, it all makes sense. Now, yep, I'm still stuck here. And yep, I can't understand and reconcile everything. And I'm not going to pretend I'm smart enough. But I am going to say this one thing to you. Jesus owes me nothing. I came to worship him this morning. I didn't come here for him to explain everything under heaven in order for me to be able to believe or move forward. I just decided a long time ago, even what I don't understand, I'm still going to trust and have faith in. I'll just tell you something. My back has been bothering me so bad for the past... uh, I mean, like, I've been laid out bad. But I am up here this morning, and I just told the Lord, I just... I am going to give everything that I have this morning. And if I collapse when I'm done, then I collapse. But I am not going to let it... I'm sick of stuff stopping me. Are you? Don't let it stop. Student, don't let it stop you. If you're married, come on. If you're young or you're old, stop. When do we rise above this world and say, by faith, We please God. By faith, we live our lives. And by faith, we give everything that we have. If you're like, well, what kind of church is this? The kind that loves Jesus, man. The kind that's into Jesus. And if you're like, well, I need some soft little religious experience. The hot tub of the Holy Trinity. I don't know where that is, but it's not here. I can just tell you that right now. We need the power of God to walk in this world and in this life. We overcome this world and the devil by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Man, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. Father, the caveat to this whole thing. Listen, folks, your eyes are closed, so listen. The caveat to the whole thing is that God wants to do immeasurably more all that you ask or imagine, here's the caveat, according to his power 
that works in you. Not according to your willpower or your decision making or your goodness or your trying harder. According to his power that works in you. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. All God wants from you today is that in this moment of time, say to him, you can have all of me. I'm tired of holding back. I'm tired of holding back doubts. I'm tired of holding back unbelief. I'm tired of holding back my family. I'm tired of not going all the way in. I'm tired of limiting you being able to work in me. I'm tired of it. God, I want to surrender today. God, I don't want the control of my life. I want to give you the control of my life. God, I want to give you my family, and I want to give you my children, and I want to give you my future. And listen, here's what the devil will say to you. Boy, if you give it all to God, he's going to take it away from you. Stop empowering the liar. And begin to empower the one who loves you. And the one who died for you and who cares for you and who wants more than you want for your life. We are not people of fear. We are people of faith. I know the lies. When you suffer loss, look, I just got to take extra time right now. I'm sorry. But when you suffer loss, then the lie is when I trust God, I'm going to suffer loss. That's the devil. If you lost a spouse, if you lost a business, if you lost a dream, if you lost a child, if you've lost your hope, if you feel like you've lost your future, It's time to start praying above average prayers. God, rescue me out of my trouble. Don't let your mind tell you, well, you did this. God doesn't qualify or quantify how many times he will rescue us out of a pit. Only if you love him. Only if you love him. That's the only condition. I will rescue those who love me. I asked you in the beginning if you love him and enthusiastically you told me yes, he heard you. Prayers of presence. Prayers of full life. By the way, to those who somehow a companion of a spirit of death has entered your life and you contemplate whether it's worth even living any longer, why should I try anymore? I break off of you right now that spirit of death in the name of Jesus. Man, I arrest that thing right now. I curse that thing right now. And I send it back to the pit of hell where it came from in the first place. Because God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. 
And if you're still breathing, then there's still a reason. Man, I attach to you. Listen, I attach to you immeasurably more than what you're asking and what you're believing. I attach to you immeasurably more supernaturally what God has for you. No more. It's a season of breakthrough. It's time to be set free. It's a new day. Our God's a healer. Our God's a lover. Our God's patient. Our God's great. God, we worship you. We worship you. I'm talking to those who are ready to say, God, you can have it all. I don't want to hold anything back any longer. You can have it all. You can have it all. Jay's going to sing this song. Camille kind of goes back and forth between each other. It's such an anointing on it. And I believe that God purposed it for this moment in time. So before you hit the door, unless you just have to go, then I bless you and I'll see you next week. But if you have five minutes of time, then I believe that there is a freedom issue that God wants to work in your life in this song. And I want you to worship in abandonment right now. Not thinking, what does this person think of me? Or what is this person going to, to, to judge me on? I want you just right now, focus on God. Quit looking down and look up. And let this be your anthem. Let it be your prayer and let it be your heart cry. Stand to your feet if you will and enjoy the freedom that's about to come your way. the presence of my enemies Come on. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah my weapon is a melody Praise the hallelujah Proclaim it Heaven comes to fight for me Come on Oh, I'm gonna sing In the middle of the storm Louder and louder We're gonna hear my praises roar And up from the ashes Hope will Everything inside of me. We give it all. 
God is on your side.